NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Yes, yes, we're back, back again. Yes, with another episode of The Writing Project's The Right Time, and I couldn't be more excited to host the guests we have tonight. Oh, I know, Tanya, we say this every time we have the show, but really, tonight, the work goes deep. It's a little more historical, a tad bit more inspirational, a lot more lyrical, and a huge speck of miracle. I'm talking about the word germination and the importance of planting seeds in our writer's notebooks. That is, you know, jotting down the possibilities of everything in our composition books and journals so that our ideas and thoughts can one day bloom, right? I was just three decades old when I first discovered this book by a guy named Ralph Fletcher, The Writer's Notebook, and it was during my Louisville Writing Project experience in Kentucky. The truth is, I've been keeping notebooks since I was 18, but this mastermind, this thing here, changed everything for me and my students. I'm curious, though, my California friend, Tanya, what seeds have you been planting in your notebook lately? Oh, it's funny you should ask, Brian. There's so much interesting work in the in the network. And so I've been writing and thinking about all the work that teachers are doing in the world um, to teach writing in these hard times and to um and in these crazy times, these unprecedented times, every time you think you're not gonna say that word anymore, and now AI is writing for students. So we are really brought back to our notebooks and how we can help students um find the joy in writing so that they don't want to as um, someone I interviewed recently said so that they don't want to outsource their work and I think Ralph for me like that book and um, others from early in his writing in his writing for teachers um really changed the way I thought about my classroom and and we know that um uh Tracy is saying the same thing and so here we all are, and Tracy's going to have the opportunity on behalf of all of us to talk to Ralph about this work and its place in the world today. Yeah, as I noted, I've been using I've been using a writer's notebook, this one with graduates, but now I'm going to be using this one with teachers and graduate students as I continue to teach because it offers all the magical write prompts. Um, and I'm super excited too, because, you know, I moved from the writer's notebook to my world of blogging, which is, you know, a, a textual uh, writer's notebook. And I thank my mom for reading my, my blog every day. And um, I actually just had a, a piece in the English journal that was totally inspired by Ralph Fletcher and about the germination of seeds, which I, I, I owe everything to this guy. Here's the official introduction. Ralph Fletcher has written over 50 books for writing teachers and young writers, including Joyrite, which I've taught, Craft Lessons, What a Writer Needs, Focus Lessons, How Photography Enhances the Teaching of Writing, and Writing Workshop, The Essential Guide. His most recent books are The World's Loneliest Elephant, a picture, illustrate, picture book illustrated by Noko Stoop, Christy Adaviano books, and a writer's notebook, Unlocking the Writer Within You, Harper's Collins. Ralph visits schools and speaks at educational conferences all around the world, helping teachers to find wiser ways to teach writing. He also has a passion for nature photography. You can find him at ralphfletcherbooks.com, or you can email him at figpudding at gmail.com, or you can find him on Twitter, writerRalph17, Ralpho. Well, it looks like Ralph, Ralph Photo 17. I guess that's probably for some of his uh, photography. And if you have not seen his photography, there are many images I've actually hoarded onto my iPhoto thinking I'm going to one day turn into a print. Handing okay. it over to you. 
Tanya. Because I um, get the honor and the privilege of introducing the teacher interviewer for today's show, Tracy Flores. Tracy is an assistant professor of language and literacy at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Flores is a former English language development and English language arts teacher working for eight years alongside culturally and linguistically diverse students, families, and communities in K-8 schools throughout Glendale and Phoenix, Arizona. Dr. Flores is the founder of Somos Escritorias. We are writers, a creative space and writing workshop for Latina girls, grades six to eight, that invites them to write stories from their lived experience using art, theater, and writing as a tool for reflection, examination, and critique of their worlds. Tracy is also a returning uh, host interviewer on The Right Time, and we're so excited to have you back. And thank you so much, Tracy, for being here tonight. I am so honored to be here tonight for this conversation. This is like my wildest dream come true. Um, <laughs> like my colleagues mentioned, to be in the same space as all of you, and also to be able to talk to someone who really has inspired my own writer self, but also how I come to this work as a teacher of young writers. Um, I'm just thrilled to be here. So I, I'm so happy to see you all tonight. And let's get this conversation started in the ways that we do of the writing project. And so um, I want to invite you today to think um, about Ralph Fletcher and his work and I'm drawing on his earlier work and the newly revised work that I am so happy to have in my hands right now. He's always reminded us of the importance of documenting, recording, of capturing unforgettable stories, the stories that simply refuse to get out of our heads. Those are his words. He asks us as writers to reflect upon what stories in the world move us, what touch us, what make us weep, what, make us, what keep us up at night. Today, as we write into our time together as teachers, writers, and kindred spirits, I draw on the writing wisdom of Ralph Fletcher for inspiration and invite you to think about what moves you, what stories keep tumbling through your mind, even when you try not to think about them. Take some time to reflect on childhood experiences with your students and the present. Uh, take some time to think of your childhood experiences with your students and the present moment we are all living in and jot down the stories that move you that you cannot get out of your head. Great prompt, love That's it. Great prompt. Well, we say have a great, phenomenal, incredible, inspirational interview with each other and we'll, and we'll talk to you on the other side. Thank you. And so I invite you to you know pause this at this moment and to write into this uh, prompt this invitation to write with your students. And I am I am so happy to be here with you today. I cannot stop saying this. I was so honored when I got the invitation to be in, in conversation with you. Uh, your writing, your work has really changed my life and I use it in all the spaces in which I work with writers and also to hone my own skills as well. And I was so excited when I saw that this new edition came out, a writer's uh, notebook, Unlocking the Writer Within You. And I actually um, bought it for all of my pre-service teachers and I'm working with a cohort of uh, 15 teachers. And um, as I read the book, many of your examples come from your own life and the many writers that you have worked with. And that's something I really love. You really capture the voices of so many writers that you've worked with. And you, know, you offer inspiration uh, from writing and storytelling. 
your book continues to just be a part of, you know, everything that I do. And I wanted to ask you, as you were revising your, this text, as you were, you know, working on this newest edition, what unforgettable stories came to your mind from all of your years with your work with writers, with teachers, and what stories from around the world continue to stay with you? Can you share a little bit about that? That's kind of a big question. I have so much to ask you. <laughs> yeah, that is a big question. First of all, thank you very much. And, um, appreciate all your kind words and um it's very humbling for me to know that um you know you've taken some of the work that i've done into your own classroom and in your own writing life um i i think that you know one of the big challenge for all writers is to um claim your territory you know everybody's going to find out what they have to say and um and and once you do find out what your territory is like what is important to you. I think the writing can really take off. Um, so, um, I, you know, I, I think that for me, um, and, and by the way, this I want to say, Tracy, there's kind of like a paradox in a way, in the sense that, like, um, you know, it's sort of that private, private, public thing, in the sense that, like, sometimes um, if you talk about something, then you don't write it. And, um, you, you know, so, so it's, I, I, I almost, but I, I just want to say that, um, I am working on a novel in verse about, um, and I really don't want to say too much about it, but it's an experience that like I've gone through the last 10 years, um, that involves, um, not my own, but somebody very close to me, um, addiction. So that's something that, um, I feel like I've been living with. And, um, so I think that's, something that I'm, that I'm working on. Um, I've also, and this is very different, like I've been very drawn to the natural world. Um, you know, I found that <clears throat> through the whole pandemic time, you know, um, I found a lot of comfort and solace in the beauty of nature. And um, so I've been kind of pulled into the photography world. And um, so I've got a lot of ideas, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think that a lot of times writers get sort of um, slotted into certain areas you know, um, you know, so-and-so is known for this kind of writing. And, um, and so I am not really known as a nonfiction writer, but I feel like I've learned a lot about the, uh, natural world through my photography. And so I find myself pulled in that direction. Um, and well, I, I won't say too much about it, except that I think that, um, you know, I'm kind of a, a language person, you know, I, I write, and I speak at conferences, so I'm sort of, I guess, very word centric. <laughs> and um, one of the things I love about photography is that it's sort of like is a different part of my brain. It's not about language and words as much. It's, I think, we're all trying to find some balance in our lives. And I find that sometimes, um, just being quiet and not talking and not explaining and just kind of like being present for some of the things that have that have happened. So. Um, I've had some like I'm not I'm not a formally a religious person, but I feel like I've had some kind of spiritual experiences of being in the natural world and being in being in the world um, of these beautiful creatures, you know. So, no, I, there's something magical that really happens when we are able to take that time and kind of unplug, if you want to, you know, say that, and just be with our environment and our surroundings to kind of cure what's going on. Um, we just had a freeze here, the freeze, and we had some time off at school and I didn't hear birds for a while. 
and I went outside and it was so, it was so still and the way the trees that we took, I took some pictures and it led to some, um, to some writing and to some, you know, sharing with my family back home in Phoenix and just not hearing the, um, not hearing the birds was really an interesting thing that I experienced during that time. And so I wanted to ask you, how has that moved your writing in different ways too, the, the photography? Well, yeah, I think that, um, you know, what we're drawn to, it's something that you really, it's, it's sort of, this is going to sound like a weird analogy, but it's like falling in love. Like you really can't predict when it's going to happen or to whom it happens with, you know, like it's just, it's sort of something kind of just a little bolt out of the blue. And so um, I think that um, I find that it, it is a challenge when you start trying to pair photography with writing, because in a way, you know, you don't want to sort of like over explain an image. And at the same time, you don't want to, um, you know, there's something like that, that dovetails together. But I would say that um, I've I've been finding like some of the uh, things that have, have drawn me, like, for example, in the, in the world of birds, I'm fascinated by owls. And um, so in my notebook, I've gathered a lot of facts about owls and um, and so sometimes like, and, I, and I'm, I'm actually, I've got a picture book manuscript that I'm working on and, and that I've got some editors interested in. Um, but I think that what I want to say is that I think that sometimes, um, you know, one of the things that I say to teachers when we talk about like photographing and can we, can we get kids to be writing from their photographs, what I always suggest is that we don't want to force it. Sometimes it happens naturally. But sometimes like the image itself is just enough. We don't want to like, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that for myself, I'm trying not to force it. I'm trying to like let myself have time. Um, and the 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 uh, animals, like um, I'm working on another manuscript about hummingbirds. I've, I've, I've had the like the last few years, I've photographed hummingbirds all through North and South America. And I have like, I mean, I probably have, I don't know, 10,000 images. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm kind of, you know, working on some writing that's inspired by that. And and some and sometimes it's funny, sometimes I have like an idea and I write something and then I want to go out and take a picture. But oftentimes I'll take a picture and then looking at the picture later kind of makes me see the 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 creature in a, in a new way. So, um, you know, one of the things that Tracy, we don't talk a lot about, but I think that we really should talk more about is the whole the whole power of observation. You know, it's it's not a simple thing. You know, when you just sort of look at something and like really looking closely at something and um, being willing to be surprised, asking yourself what's there, what's not there. You know, and um, I I have found that. Um, in the world of taking pictures, I've really, um, I think I've honed my powers of observation. And um, and it means a lot of silence too. It means a lot of silence. And I was thinking like in school, I mean, tell me if you agree with me, but it seems in school, many times in the writing classroom, we expect kids to sort of, you know, get an idea and get moving on it. You know, there's not a lot of time for like sitting with an idea or thinking about it or dreaming or, or taking a walk. And, and maybe that's impractical, but I think that 
I'm, I'm struck by sometimes in my own writing life that I need time to step away from the idea and just to let it breathe a little bit before I delve right into it and trying to try to turn it into something, you know, um, it's not a straight line. Sometimes it takes, it takes a while. Absolutely. And I've learned my, I've learned that about myself as a writer too. I need to take the time to really kind of let it marinate in my mind and go into different spaces and think about it in different ways. And I appreciate what you said about observation and how it's hard and how it's a skill that we're always constantly developing. It's something that I'm constantly working on with my pre-service teachers as they work alongside writers or work alongside children and thinking about what's like, what is there? What are you seeing? What, what is actually happening? And what can we learn from, from these moments? And um, what, how does that change the moves that we make as, as teachers or writers as well? I will say, Tracy, that because um, you've got me thinking um, that one of the big topics that I've been kind of ruminating with and, and, and is and this is a big topic. It's not like I have a little manuscript on this at all. But, um, you know, you probably know that I'm the oldest of a big family. I'm the oldest of uh, nine children. Um, there are six brothers. And um, a lot of my brothers have really struggled, you know. And so I've been thinking about the whole idea of brothers, you know, I, I happened to watch recently on, uh, on, a, on a flight, I watched this wonderful um, documentary about uh, Brian Wilson of the, um, the Beach Boys. And wow. Brian had two brothers who passed away. Um, and, you know, he loved his brothers, and they had a complicated relationship. And I've had a complicated relationship with my brothers, too. And um, I, I lost a brother, a younger brother, uh, about a year ago. And um, so anyway, it's one of those things where I feel like it's it's a rich idea and um I'd like to kind of explore it and it's it's also kind of like a you know writing as as we know writing is about self discovery. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the reason that we don't want to write about stuff is because maybe we don't want to face certain things. You know like you know for 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 one of my brothers I said to myself have I really not been there for him enough, you know, should I have been more supportive and you know so sometimes like we don't want to turn over those rocks. Yeah, uh, it takes you in places you didn't know it would take you. Yeah, but I, it, yeah, but I think that um, I, I just want to say that that's something that I could see myself working on um, as a long-term project because it, it feels like one of those things that I have a lot to say about it, and it's it's both inspirational, but it's also I've got there's some, there's some painful there's some pain in in there also. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes me think about something that um, I tell my writers sometimes. And, you know, sometimes the stories are also just for us. What our writing is just for us. Sometimes we make it public and other times we just write it for our own purposes, for our own, to get it out and kind of work through different things that we want to work through. For that yeah. Comment. And I love that. I love that quote by um, Joan Didion. Um, I think she said, I write to find out what I have to say. And um you know, I think a lot of times people figure like, well, you know what you have to say, you just like sit down and start working on it. But I think that oftentimes on a topic like that, or if we write about, you know, family members or just issues that we're not 100% resolved on, that through the writing, you can come to some resolution and some discoveries. Um, and it can take you to some new places. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And in this, as you were talking, it makes me think about how you've advocated a lot for, you know, the power of personal story and narrative writing. 
in the writing classroom and in our lives. And I also think that that is, I, for me in my classroom, I, it's a starting place to start with the writer and their stories to cultivate them as writers and build their confidence and to make strides and most importantly, to help them find their voices as writers, to claim their territory as you just you know, mentioned earlier as well. So what other roles do you see narrative playing and personal story playing in our writing classrooms as we strive to prepare writers to write beyond the classroom and into their communities and worlds? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I believe that story is the mother of all genre. Um, again, I'm not, I, I really am not a religious person, but, um, you know, Jesus told stories, you know, and, and he, I think he found that people would listen to stories. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think that I've just seen this so many times, like with my own little kids that are in my life that I'll, you start to tell a story and there's something about, I, I do believe our brains are wired for storytelling. Um, and even, and, and that's true. Like, of course it's true in narrative and fiction, but I think there's, there are certainly a strong narrative elements in almost every genre we can think about. Memoir, nonfiction, uh, even poetry. Absolutely. Um, and, and even like in a way, even making an argument, you know, in, in, in an essay, a lot of times we're basically, there's something unresolved at the beginning that we kind of, that, that comes to resolution through the, through, the, uh, through the essay. So, but I guess the thing is that I know that in the last 10 years, there's been a big push into more what I would call academic writing yeah. genres. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I, I know in your state, in Texas, um, I think the, the the phrase common core was not allowed to be said or it was like, but but even if even if the states that didn't like use those phrases, they they adopted something sort of similar, I think. Yeah, their own standards. Yeah, exactly. That were, that were sort of congruent with that. And I think that there's been a movement in all the states, um, sort of away from the student's life and 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 sort of into like, um, you know, academic texts that they're going to have to learn how to write, which is certainly a valid point. But I guess what I worry about is that, to me, like especially when you think about, hey, you know, kindergarten through eighth grade, we only have a few year, we only have a few years to really engage these students, and I think that one of the ways we engage them is by saying, your stories your concerns, your passions are valuable in the classroom. Um, and so, you know, I'm a big proponent of choice. Just like when kids go to the library, <clears throat> I want them to be able to choose a book uh, by uh, on a subject they're interested in, by an author they love, maybe a series. And I want the same thing to be happening in the writing classroom. I want a lot of choice in there. And um, so, and I, and I guess, what I want to say is that um, we have sometimes we think of the genre as being um, very discreet from each other. You know, like like for example, I'm going to teach poetry to my students, and I'm going to teach them about metaphors or similes, whatever. And yet, um, I think that the craft moves that you see in poetry are used in almost every genre you can imagine. And so I think that. Sure, I, th I think a lot of times in school, teachers are really working hard to make sure kids see the distinctions between genres. But I also think it's important to show kids the commonalities between genres. And um, what they're going to, I mean, <clears throat> if you're going to write a piece of fiction or tell a story, you've got to develop the character. 
And if you're going to write about Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King or whoever it is, it's very similar. You have to develop that character so that we can believe in him or her. So I think that, um, you know, I, I, I do think it's worth saying that we probably went through a period in the last 20, 25 years when maybe we overdid genre, but we did, we overdid a personal narrative. Mm-hmm. Like that's all kids wrote. Yeah. And I think that was a mistake. Um, you know, I can, I, I have so many memories of students and frankly, they, a lot of times they were boys and the boys would say, do we have to write what really happened? Can, can we just make up stuff? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and I would sort of say, no, I really want you to, I would sort of hold them to personal narrative. And now I look back and I kind of cringe a little bit mm-hmm. because I think that sometimes we can make a mistake. But anyway, so I guess what I want to say is that we can overdo personal narrative, but I think that um, stories are important. And I want to just say one, one other thing about this because you, you got me thinking. Um, Tom Newkirk has a new book out about an importance of, having, of on fiction writing and you know tom lives near me in new hampshire so i I know him pretty well but i mean tom made a really interesting point he said you know we want kids to read fiction but in many classrooms in most classrooms he says we don't really let them write fiction yeah and and i understand why because it's hard to control it you know but i think that um like one teacher said to me you know ralph but when they try to write it it's not very good and i and i said to her i said they're 10 years old. <laughs> you know, it's like it it's not gonna be that great. But I think that um you'll get a lot of other things, you get a lot of buy-in, you'll get engagement. And um and I as I said before, I think that a lot of the elements of good n- narrative writing are used in every kind of writing. Yeah, and you can teach the writer within that within that space. Absolutely. I yeah. I really appreciate that. Um and thinking about our our writers as storytellers and them coming with lots of stories and we're born storytellers. I really, I, I really believe that we tell stories, you know, in our homes, our communities at the kitchen table on the weekends when we're having happy hour, we, you know, tell the stories that, you know, we need to. That need exactly. To <laughs> it's important. It really is. It, mo- it moves us in many ways. I wanted to go back to, um, the photography that you were taught, we were talking about earlier in our conversation. And I was really excited to see the entire chapter about, you know, the power of photos. And, um, and you, you kind of talked about this and, you know, sometimes the photo, not pushing the writing on the photos, the photos can speak for themselves. And um, you gave different examples of how to use them to spark wonderings and writing poetry and captions and micro genres. And I, I, you know, I think we need more of this. And it makes me think about Instagram and all the, you know, the ways that photos are telling stories and in different social media platforms as well. Um, and, you know, we have these cameras at our fingertips and our writers are using pictures to, you know, to tell stories in every single day. Um, and I wanted to ask you, um, how might we use photography to tell our stories in our classroom or even just as a way to tell the story? and think about writing these micro genres that you were talking about in, in the book? Yeah, um, well, first of all, I, I think that I will be candid and say that I'm still, like a lot of people trying to figure this all out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, you know, even though I've de- definitely embraced uh, photography, um, I, I feel like, like, like 
like you, I would guess, and like almost all the teachers I work with, I'm a language person, you know, uh, and I feel like um, sometimes without really meaning to, we may be hostile to the world of imagery. Like, you know, if a kid's supposed to be writing and he's, oh, he's just doodling, you know, he's just drawing pictures, yeah. almost like that's bad, you know. And um, I, I think that, the, the first of all, I, will, I, I think the world is becoming more visual mm -hmm. um, and a little bit less text centric. And I think that, um, you know, when we, we, we may have to like have a paradigm shift in the, in the way we start thinking about things, you know, like if you see kids fooling around with a phone and taking pictures or taking a selfie, you might think that they're fooling around and they're off task. But another way to look at it is they're, they're composing, mm -hmm. they're telling a story. And in some ways they're, they're telling a persuasive story. Like yes, I was, I was at this party sitting next to this really pretty girl. And um, so, you know, I'm really, I'm really, whatever, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I want to, I want you to see me in a particular way and mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to make you see me that way. Um, so I, I think that, um, I, I think that we can encourage just like, uh, we can encourage kids to take pictures, to, to bring in their images. We also can spend some time, I think, um, just like we do with any mentor text, really looking closely at images. Yeah. Because I think that we can help kids become smarter about how do they consume them, what they see, so that they don't like, take them at face face value. Okay. You know, I think that that's, you know, there's that wonderful, and I mentioned this in, my, in the book, um, there's that uh, New York Times uh, feature, um, what's happening in this picture. So we show an image and get some discussion about it. Um, and, you know, I've been having some fun lately. There's a, um, a photographer uh, who did a, uh, his name is Bill Owens, and he did a whole series of photographs in the 70s about California, mm -hmm. about California, it's called suburbia. And, you know, some of it, some of the pictures are fascinating because they, there's a picture of this um, Asian family and they're sitting down and they're kind of looking up at the camera and um, they're, they're, um, they're having hot dogs. And the father wrote something about it. And he says, he says, it's hard to find like, you know, our, our home food in the supermarkets. So sometimes we, we just have hot dogs. And so to look at that picture and think about it, like there's, there's a lot going on there. You know, it's about identity and culture. Am I losing my culture? I'm becoming part of the melting pot. I mean, and I think that sometimes, um, we as teachers can try to pull kids into deeper water and get them look at it, you know, more closely and also leave time for dialogue so that kids can listen to each other. Because a lot yes. of times, and I love this with any mentor text where somebody will notice something that you didn't notice yourself. I, I think that that's fascinating where, you know, in your mind, you may have some things that you want to point out, but it's great when kids point out stuff that yes. you didn't notice, you know. Yes. Um, and, the, and the other thing is that I, I think um that you know and i have a chapter about this in my book that i think a lot of students are using their their phones obviously not first graders but when kids get smartphones and they're taking a lot of pictures they're using their phones as a writer's notebook yes and i'm not exactly sure what that means and i you know i'm, I'm really thinking about it a lot but 
one of the things is that when you scroll through your phone and look through the pictures, if you can stand back and reflect, you start seeing what it is that you're really interested in. You know, a friend of mine goes on vacation and, you know, instead of coming back with waterfalls or mountains, she comes back with like what she had for dinner that night, you know? So those photographs tell her that, I guess, I guess I'm kind of a, I'm a foodie, you know? And so that's the kind of thing that, you know, could easily be written about. I mean, that's something that, I guess what I'm trying to say is that just like you look through a writer's notebook and by looking at what are the entries that keep recurring gives you an idea of what are your obsessions and your interests. And those are the things that you might want to write about. The same thing is true with the pho photographs. I think that they can give you, a, they can help you to start to see what you're interested in. And as I said earlier, that idea, they can help you claim your, your territory. Yeah. So mining our, fo our photos, like we kind of would mine our writer's notebook to see what's what we've been writing about and, and capture. Yeah. Yeah. I and um, screenshots of things I want to look back at on the internet. Like different resources. Yeah, that's see, that's interesting. So I don't lose it and I can look at it later. Well, and I think that, you know, as much as I mean, if, you know, when you go to the airport and you will look at everybody on their on their cell phones, you know, you start you might start getting the idea that we're all turning it into automatons. We're all doing the same thing. Yeah. But I but I think that if you really look deeper, I think people have their own personal relationship with this whole world and um to find out what is your relationship with it and um and and you know to do some writing um and you know um the other the other thing i just will mention is that i think that there's there's some just like we have kids annotate a poem and this is more like middle school and high school but i think there's some interesting things to to find some photographs that really that to speak to the students and let them annotate those 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 uh those photographs it, photographs that we maybe help them find but also photographs that they themselves take um i really do think that you know just like we going back to uh you know don graves and lucy Hawkins trying to get kids to be like choosing topics that matter to them i think it's important that we encourage students to be taking their own photographs and that may seem like a hard thing to do if, you know, because kids don't have cameras or they don't have cell phones. But I think that most schools can find a way to get give kids access to even an iPad or something. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that about the picking the topics through photography and that the space that it can open up for us as writers and as storytellers and as composers and thinking about where that might lead us. So I appreciate you sharing a bit more about that. You know, and it's funny, um, Tracy, because it's like when when the editor um, from Harper contacted me and, you know, talked about maybe writing this new edition and maybe bringing, you know, the writing notebook into, you know, the 21st century. Um, I, I think that there was a part in my... <laughs> The, my my initial reaction was like, well, writing, no, you know, no matter what you call it, it's it hasn't changed that much. Mm -hmm. Writing is still writing. Um, it's still telling a story. It's still grabbing, you know, the reader or, or the viewer. But I but I also do think that at the same time, our students living in this more digital world, um, you know, it, it is changing. And of course, you know, um, even with like the 
artificial intelligence, you yeah. know, uh-huh. that's, you know, that's another can of worms. So another uh, layer of everything. I, I think that as we go forward, it's going to be interesting to navigate, you know, the, the commonalities, how writing is still the same, but how, what are some things that are really evolving and changing? Absolutely. And I have one last question for you that goes along with what we were just talking about in this, you know, changing and evolving landscape that we're living in and how writing continues to evolve um, for different purposes in the ways that we tell our stories, the way we communicate, we advocate, raise consciousness, all the things. Um, And I work with uh, classroom teachers and pre-service teachers and then young Latina girls in the summer and throughout the year. And I wanted to ask you as a kind of a final question, what advice can you offer for new teachers of writers in in today's classrooms and pre-service teachers? And researchers? And pre-service teachers, those who are about, yeah. Yeah, um, I really think that um, it's so important to be a practitioner, you know, not just to talk about it, but to roll up your sleeves and and to kind of learn alongside the students. You know, I think a lot of times teachers, um, and I see this so many so many ways that people are intimidated by the idea of writing. Um, and Or maybe they feel like to be a writer feels like sort of a, a pompous way to, to find yourself. And I, I really, you know, one of the things that I have said, this, I, don't, I hope this is not gonna come off too glib, but I think that um, I always say that, you know, you don't have to aspire to be a writer with a capital W, but we can all be a writer with a small W, you know? Um, and I think that it's important that um, teachers write with their students um, for a lot of reasons. First of all, I think that our best teaching comes when we teach to the point of our own, our own learning, what we're learning about it. Then you have things to share with students that's really live stuff. and And you know, obviously there'll be some things that you probably can't share with students, but hopefully there's some things that you that you could. And, um, you know, we're a great model, you know? I mean, I, I always say that when my brother Joe and I, we coach soccer together, Joe was a really good athlete. He played on a team and, you know, I, I would talk about it and, you know, you can guess who the kids listen to, you know? I mean, I think the kids really, they really respect that you're in there taking the same risk that they're taking. And also, if you're writing and sharing with the kids, and if the, if the, um, you know, the feeling in the classroom isn't quite right, students are going to feel that. You know, you're, you know, you're going to feel it. Yes. So, like, if it's not a safe place, you know, sometimes you're in these classrooms with some of the kids that are uh, can can be a little bit um, maybe unkind or, you know, a little bit um, a judgy, whatever. And so, I think that it's. If, if you feel like the atmosphere isn't a place where you can write, then you can you can experience it and you can sort of step back and 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 address it. So and and again, one thing that Don Graves used to talk about, he said that there's a difference between when we write for the students, you know, we just write so we have something to share, and when we write for ourselves. Yes. And he says, like he says, kids know the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, kids can sense like if you're really writing because if something's important to you, or if you just kind of, you know, I mean, we, we all can like write a paragraph on the board and, yeah. you know, and throw the kids out a paragraph or whatever, but to try to find a way to start beginning your own journey as a writer with a small W and, yeah. um, and, and sharing and, you know, just kind of delving into it. And Tracy, I, I will say that 
it's humbling because sometimes the truth is, you know, almost, almost, almost no matter what grade you're teaching, that when you share your stuff with the classroom, you're not the best writer in the class. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, some of, these, some of these kids are just like, you just, you want to get their autograph now before they're to the help. And so, so it's, it's, it's humbling, but it's also, it's, it's okay, you know, and, um, you know, and we can we can go on our own our own growth um, journey in writing too. So, and you know, I know that that can feel like um, a subversive thing to do, or maybe like a bad thing to do, because if you've got a big classroom and you take valuable class time to actually do your own writing, you know, there may be a voice in your head saying, "Well, gee, I could be conferring with like Brian or this one or that one." But I still think that there's value in it. I really do um, to find some ways that. Somebody once said, and I I don't know who it was that said, behind every really good writing classroom, there's some teacher who's really sharing herself or himself as a writer. Yes. And I mean, I think there's there's some value, there's some really, there's some value, you know, valuable wisdom there. You just nailed the National Writing Project mission in one sentence. Behind every good writing teacher is a a teacher who writes, right? You know, you've got to have, you got to be in the classroom writing with your kids. Um, I thank you. I know we're going to move to a final prompt um, before we close off the show, but I just wanted to make a connection because Tracy's research and my research runs parallel in ways because she's working with young Spanish girl writers and young Latino, Latina boys. Did I get that right? Latina, Latino boys. And I I worked with um, relocated refugees from Africa and they're writing in and out of school when I was doing research. And and I kept hearing you, Ralph, when you were speaking about, wow, this is pretty, pretty cool stuff about moving away from the textual to the visual. I remember working with one little girl from Somalia and she just didn't talk and she didn't write. But then one day a colleague of mine brought in a magazine and just told her to rip out three pictures she likes. And she ripped up the three pictures. And you know what? It was that visual that helped her to start talking and to start writing. And and I and I always remembered that that was really powerful. It was like you need the visual to prompt you forward. And, and in my own writing processes, I'm always taking pictures during the day because I know I'm going to be writing at night and I don't know what I want to write about. So I go through my pictures and I'm like, oh, this is what I'm going to focus on this evening. So I thank you. The wisdom in that last 30 minutes was outstanding. Um, I'm just like mesmerized by everything you had to say. And I have so much to say, but the show is about your book and I'm going to let it go to Tracy. You have another prompt for us to close off. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you so much for what you said about being on this writing journey alongside of our students and being a writer with a capital us lowercase w until we feel comfortable being a uppercase w. That really goes back to um, just everything that I have learned from you and what I continue to carry with me. Um, and so now we're going to close out our time. We're going to um, close out our time together with returning back to that beginning writing that we all uh, did together. And we're inviting you to return to the list that you made at the beginning of those stories that move you, those things that you cannot get out of your head or your heart. Um, and imagine how sharing some of these things might help a student in your class or a new colleague. And write a letter of encouragement to a student, a new colleague, or even to yourself, drawing on the list of things that move you. And I look forward to um, hearing what you all write about and what you share. And I just thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks, Ralph. That was really amazing. And I think a kind of bomb for uh, 
people's hearts um, who are in classrooms with kids. These uh, resources are amazing and we're so, so thankful for you for putting them out in the world and then coming here uh, to talk with us about them. And Tracy, you are as always a wonderful question asker, a wonderful listener. You make so much space for people um, to talk and that means that for our audience of listeners, they really get to feel like they also are in conversation with Ralph and what a treat and a gift that is. Well, thank and, you. I, I love being part of it. It was really fun. Oh, good, good. We're so glad. Well, come back anytime. You've got some books on you're, you're working on. Let us know. We'd love to have you back to talk about other things that you're writing. All right. Um, it's always my final job to thank the listeners who are here um, for this conversation. We're so glad you're here, and we want to know. We want to make sure you know how to find valuable resources from the writing project like this conversation with Ralph Fletcher. So um, please sign up for our newsletter. You can do that by going to nwp.org and then um, signing up for the newsletter. You'll get a monthly notification about things like this that are happening that are available for you. You can join our community where people may very well want to talk more about this conversation or engage in those writing prompts that Tracy offered us. So you can sign up for that at the studio.nwp.org. And um, if you've found this podcast in some other way, but you want to find more, know that you can find our um, all of our podcasts at bitly-nwp radio. Uh, thank you, everybody, and please have a lovely evening. Good night. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.